I'm Gabby Hi, I'm Emily Fenigan. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw. Hi, this is Holly Evans. And I'm Ben Hook. In conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Hooked on Sport. This is episode 17, but before we get into it, a reminder about the Return to Sport webinar. It features five industry leaders in physical and mental well-being. If you've got a leadership role at your club, then you need to register. It's on June the 3rd, and it's free. Just go to Hooked on Sport Facebook page or at hookedonsport.com.au. Now, Our focus today is on a sport played by pretty much every Australian, yet has almost no mainstream attraction, table tennis. For most of us, table tennis is about taking on a sibling, a son or a daughter, or a workmate. But around the country, table tennis leagues are run through schools, clubs and states, leading to national championships, and for the best of the best, the Olympic Games. Table Tennis Australia is run out of Adelaide, and their CEO is a former top player, Scott Houston. He joins me right after this. Hi, this is Michelle Doyle from Swimming FA, and you're listening to Hooked on Sports. Scott Houston, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks for having me. Scott, what is it about table tennis? I've only ever played it socially, but there is no more competitive sport that I know than table tennis. Why does it drive people playing with their mates to absolute fury of being so critically determined to win? Yeah, I think it's just because it's such an accessible sport. You know, it has very low barriers to entry. You don't need, uh, you don't need a, a, a big venue to play. You don't need expensive equipment to play, and you know everyone can play irrespective of their age, gender, ethnicity, cultural background, disability. You name it, it's just definitely a sport for all. And I think that's what draws people in. It's a sport that I've really only ever played at home, uh, at someone's house or at, uh, at my own house. Have you found that because so many people have been at home, has there been any evidence to suggest that sales of table tennis equipment is up? Uh, absolutely. Uh, table Tennis Australia, we have um, been selling some equipment online like a, as a play-at-home type of uh, kit, and, and that's been going quite well. And also uh, one of our um, biggest suppliers, Table Tennis World, um, they have been uh, inundated with orders over the last few months. So, uh, yeah, I think it's there's definitely been a spike in people playing at home, that's for sure. So one of the few industries that's perhaps done okay out of the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, no, I think we're, we're certainly well-placed compared to compared to some other sports. Um, and, and, yeah, it's definitely lent itself to, to people perhaps, you know, either rediscovering the sport if they've had a bit of a break or, or you know, taking it up for the first time. Definitely a, a, good, a good sport to play in a home environment. Scott, you manage uh, table tennis right across Australia. How have your clubs coped with the shutdown? Yeah, um, we're working through that at the moment. Obviously, everything is is shut down. Um, we did have some good news, though, recently in that uh, in Western Australia and Northern Territory, clubs can open in a limited capacity. Uh, Northern Territory is probably the, the furthest ahead. Um, but, yeah, across the rest of the states and territories, yeah, they're all, all currently closed at the moment. Um, it's certainly been hard. Uh, winter is the main season for table tennis. And so we're just working through the, um, you know, various options with the with each of the state and territory associations to make sure that we can come back and play as much as possible in, you know, it will be a, a different year compared to normal, no doubt, though, um, to things like how we're going to, 
go about the tournament calendar, what are we going to do with our national championships, uh, how will the membership model work this year and, and so forth. So there's definitely been some challenges, but, um, but yeah, we've been quite proactive in working through them and getting on the front foot as well. Traditionally, how do your national championships work? Is it uh, held in one particular, uh, I guess, major city? Is it what time of the year is it? Where, where do these things normally take shape? Yeah, so we've had to post, we have three national championships a year. We've had to postpone the first two. So we would normally have the senior youth and para championships. That was due to be held in April in Brisbane this year. Um, And then the national junior championships was due to be held in July in Western Australia. Um, Both of those have been postponed. Uh, We're still hopeful that we can play them later in the year in November or December. Um, But we're just working through some contingency plans with that at the moment. Um, and then we also have a national veterans championships as well, which is actually our, our biggest national championships. We normally get about 450 competitors there. Wow. Uh, and that is due to be held in late September, early October in Darwin. Um, so at the moment, we haven't postponed it, but um, we're looking at whether we keep it in its current date or current dates or whether we um, push it back um, slightly just to give a, a bit better chance of the event going ahead. Um, so, yeah, we've been, again there, we've been quite proactive. We work with a company called Sports Marketing Australia to um, source venues and council support and so forth. And, yeah, we have, um, we've got some contingency plans available to us. We just need to work through what will be the best chance to, uh, you know, make the events go ahead and that they are commercially viable. You talk about table tennis being essentially a winter sport. That's when you run your programs. Do you share facilities or do you have control of your facilities over 12 months and therefore being able to move these things around becomes a little more pliable for you? Yeah, so for our national championships, um, we we typically use uh, like rec centres or the like just because of the sheer volume of space that's needed. Um, But in terms – so – we do have some flexibility there because we've been on the front foot um, in, in terms of like finding backup dates and backup venues and the like. Um, but in terms of our local clubs around Australia, um, in the vast majority of cases, they're all standalone table tennis venues. It's a little bit different in New South Wales. Um, but yeah, for, for the most part, um, yeah, we have full access to these venues. So um, clubs won't be impacted once they can come back. That's for sure. I'm interested in how your elite players have survived the last couple of months, Scott. I mean, the one obvious thing about table tennis is when you hit the ball, you need someone to hit it back to you. What have the elite players done where they've been, I guess, alone for large periods of time? Yeah, yeah, that's a a very good question. Um, And again, I think, you know, we are better place perhaps than some other sports. Um, so what we did, our national coaches um, really got on the front foot once the once the lockdown started to happen. Um, so we have a, a national squad for able-bodied and a national squad for para. Um, we did an audit of what equipment players had at home and um, for those who needed it, we helped to, to source equipment um, from clubs and the like given clubs were closed, you know, we got some tables delivered. Um, we organised ball machines for those who needed it as well. Um, and and we've been actually training um, over 15 hours a week um, using Zoom. So it's been a, a real eye-opener. I mean, our para program had been using video technology um, for the past few years anyway, so they were probably ahead of the curve. Um, but... In, the, in relation to our able-bodied program, it's been a real catalyst for us. Um, there have been, for example, 
every morning at seven o'clock there's a physical training session um, that that's open to all of the players. Um, then they're doing things like um, you know service training, which which doesn't need a, a partner for um, at other sessions. And then um, you know setting up the ball machine and, and doing um, and doing exercises through that as well. Um, yeah, a couple of our uh, national squad members actually have, you know, brothers and sisters that play too. So there have been chances for our athletes to play directly in some capacity as well. But, um, but you know, moving forward, it's shown us, you know, we, we, it's obviously a, we have national squad members in just about every state and territory. Um, so it, it has been, a, a you know, a great opportunity for us to leverage it that technology further and I think no doubt our national coaches will um, continue on using that video uh, video conferencing system for training in some instances because it, it's certainly much more efficient that's for sure. Scott I've picked up on something here the ball machine now for a yes. complete table tennis nufty like me with no ability whatsoever that sounds like something that would be a fair bit of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, I guess it's similar to some other sports, like um, you know, cricket will have a ball machine when to practice your batting. Uh, I think tennis have it as well. Um, baseball would have it too. But with with table tennis, um, yeah, it, it depends on the machine that you've got, but it it can certainly be a lot of fun because you can do things like it can play the ball randomly. Um, you can do it to specific positions on the table, um, you know, by rotation. Um, and then you can change the spin that's on the ball as well. Um, so, yeah, we, we can replicate training to a, a reasonably high level using the ball machine as a, as a top-up to what we would normally do. So, absolutely, it, for, you know, for anyone at home, you could also source a ball machine pretty easily and, and, and not that expensive either. You can get a decent one for, you know, a couple of hundred dollars, and, and yeah, you're right, you'd have a lot of fun with it. I tell you what, there's a market there, Scott, you, you talk about selling a bit of stuff through Table Tennis Australia. I'd be marketing those machines, just smashing balls all over the house. My wife wouldn't be too thrilled about it, but I reckon I'd get <laughs> pl- plenty of enjoyment. Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. The present situation can increase our anxiety, which is completely normal and understandable. To try and reduce some of this anxiety by practicing our breathing or deep muscle relaxation techniques, maybe some mindfulness, or even dancing, singing, or maybe even yoga. And now back to the show. Tell me about Table Tennis Australia and uh, how the organisation has survived. Has it been uh, challenging for you like it has for so many other sports? Um, We're actually doing really, really quite well, to be honest. Uh, So at the moment, Tables in Australia, we are we haven't had, and we're not anticipating um, any staff cuts or any hours cuts or any salary reductions. Um, and we're actually in the process of hiring three positions at the moment, um, so we're doing quite well um, because obviously there's been a lot of a lot of people losing their job in the sport and rec industry. Um, but it, it's basically been built on the on the back of of two and a half years of of really hard work. Um, going back to the end of 2017, it, you know, we were struggling. Um, I started in September 2017. Um, the organisation was $650,000 in debt and about six months away, uh, six weeks away from going bankrupt. And um, yeah, we were just able to get become debt free in February um, 2020. So we paid back all of the 
the debt um, in less than two and a half years and about 10 months ahead of schedule. Uh, so the operating model that we have in place now is is really sound and that has enabled it to effectively just be business as usual for us, um, you know, through this COVID-19 shutdown. So I'm really proud that our business model has has stood up under these trying conditions. But um, yeah, as I said, we're, we're in a good shape um, uh, overall. It's an incredible story, the uh, the bounce back of Table Tennis Australia under your stewardship. Scott, tell me, where do you source elite players from? And I, I'd love to hear a bit more about the spinneroos. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, uh, so in terms of the elite players, firstly, um, we have a, a robust uh, national program that has been you know, expanding in, in the past few years. Um, so we basically try and... Um, you know, get players in at a at a young age. Um, the the national championships, um, we have starts at under 11s in juniors and goes through to under 18s. Um, and and you know, players are, are typically identified as they stand out across the various age groups at junior level. And then we we try and um, get them into the national program and and keep them moving forward. Um, so so that's that's the the main way that we source um, our athletes. We have had in the past and and currently as well um, some players who, who migrate to Australia from overseas. Um, for example, at the moment the current two-time reigning Australian champion in women's um, her name is Min Hyung Ji. Um, she moved to Australia about five years ago from Korea. Uh, she was a Korea national team member. Um, relocated to Australia and wanted to continue playing and we're pursuing um, to get her to obtain her Australian citizenship because yeah I mean she's far and away the best player in Australia um, and yeah I, I think she can definitely add to our um, medal chances at the Commonwealth Games in 2022 and then you know moving forward from there um, we're hopeful to progress our Olympic results as well um, but Having said that, we do make it quite stringent for players to come in um, because, you know, we have to make sure that they'll fully integrate and join in with the team ethos and, and you know, be part of, of, you know, what the team is trying to achieve. Um, so we are quite stringent from that perspective too. And then in relation to the Spinneroos program, uh, so that, that is a new program that we developed. We were fortunate to get a grant from Sport Australia um, through the Move It Oz um, grant campaign, and we were able to develop Spinneroos. So I guess uh, Spinneroos would be like the table tennis equivalent of what Auskick is for AFL or what Hot Shots is for tennis and so forth. So it's an entry-level program um, based at try, uh, trying to attract youngsters to the sport at a younger age and, and, and you know, give them a positive first experience and then hopefully they'll go on and stay within the sport. Um, so that was – we'd been doing our pilots for that in Term 1 and we were ready to go with a full launch in Term 2. Now obviously, COVID-19 has put that on the back burner, but um, we're ready to go once clubs can reopen and, and there's already been strong interest from clubs to run programs, um, you know, before the end of this year. So hopefully that will give us another a tool to boost our participation and, you know, create new players and, uh, you know, into the future. You were mentioning uh, the Olympic Games and the Commonwealth Games, which are upcoming. I think we've talked about this before, Scott. You have a full quota of athletes that are scheduled to go to the Olympic Games. I imagine you haven't necessarily selected those players yet, but what does that mean? How many athletes will you actually be sending to the Olympics? Yeah, so for the Olympics next year, um, Australia, we won 
the Oceania qualification tournament for teams in December last year, um, beating New Zealand in the final in the men's and beating Fiji in the final in the women's. So by virtue of that, it means that we're able to have um, a, a men's team and a women's team compete, which would be three um, three of each gender. And then also um, it enables us to have maximum quota places for singles. So two men and two women um, will play in the in the respective singles events as well. Um, so at the moment, we uh, so we, we secured those quota places for Tokyo, and then um, we've been working through the process to actually um, to enable athletes to qualify for those places. So in terms of the 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 singles places, we had our qualification tournaments in November and January, November last year and January this year. And we've had two men and two women um, earn the right to represent Australia at the Olympics through those tournaments. So Michelle Bromley and Stephanie Sang uh, were the women's qualifiers and David Powell and Chris Yan were the men's qualifiers. So four of the six spots are already sewn up. And then the other two spots will be determined, you know, at a later date, um, just depending on when things can get back to normal. Um, and then in relation to the Paralympics as well, uh, we're very hopeful that we'll send our biggest ever Paralympic contingent um, to to the Tokyo Paralympic Games as well, when we've got some genuine medal chances there um, across, you know, multiple events. So we're we're very hopeful to to continue on our good results from from Rio in the Paralympic Games. Just this has just occurred to me, Scott. Is there mixed doubles in table tennis? There is, yes. So um, that will be a new event actually at the Olympic Games. Uh, uh, for, yeah, so for the first time that that'll be played, uh, and we don't know who will be in that yet because um, there was supposed to be an Oceania qualification tournament for mixed doubles, um, but. Yeah, it was supposed to be held in Brisbane in April, but uh, obviously it's been postponed for now. So that tournament will be held, you know, later in the year, hopefully. Um, and in an absolute worst case scenario, uh, it would be allocated by world ranking. Um, so, yeah, again, I- irrespective of of whether it's the, the tournament that's played or world ranking, Australia will have a very good chance of, of gaining that slot as well. If I can just bring us back to the social side of table tennis for a minute. I don't know if too many workplaces that don't at some stage have some sort of table tennis competition. Is that something that Table Tennis Australia gets involved in from time to time? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we know it's big in the in the workplace and some industries probably lend itself a little bit more than others. Um, like we know, for example, the tech industry, um, you know, there's a big table tennis component there um and yeah so we've actually just recently launched the table tennis corporate cup um so again that was through the funding that we received through sport australia move it oz um, grant scheme and yeah we we had our um launch at StartCon in sydney in late last year and that went really well and then you know we, we had uh, i think there was around about 55 companies ended up signing up for the first round and yeah we were due to hold um events in four different states um in in april um this year but obviously again with COVID 19 we've had to postpone them but we're hopeful that we can still get them away later in the year though that's for sure but yeah so certainly you know corporate table tennis there's a there's a big market for it I know that nursing homes and aged care facilities have had some tremendous challenges over 
the past couple of months. But my understanding is that Table Tennis Australia is even trying to establish uh, more involvement for uh, elderly citizens in table tennis as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the the health benefits are, are proven of table tennis for, for elderly people, um, not only from a physical perspective, but also from a, a, you know, a mental health perspective as well and keeping the brain engaged and active. And um, there have been some studies done that, that show that table tennis can either, um, you know, hold off the onset of Alzheimer's or for people with Alzheimer's, it can it can delay the onset of it as well. Um, likewise with, with people with Parkinson's disease. So, you know, there, there is definitely elements, uh, big elements that, that, that are beneficial from table tennis. And we haven't done anything in a formal capacity, in a formal capacity previously, but um, we're at the moment where um, preparing, um, you know, what we would like to do from a, from a program perspective, but, and, and hopefully then, you know, we'll be able to apply for, for funding when it becomes available. If not, you know, make a direct pitch to um, various ministers and so forth. Because, you know, for a relatively low investment from a government perspective, you know, the benefits that it would provide, um, it would be a, a certainly a sound investment um, for any funding that's provided. It would effectively be, you know, making sure that there's equipment available two or three tables in each um, aged care facility, um, some bats and balls, and then having a program that, that they could go through um, and, you know, offering some some simple match play type scenarios as well. So it would be a relatively simple program, relatively straightforward to set up, um, but it's just a matter of us, um, you know, being able to source funding for that. Um, but, yeah, it could even have a, a commercial element to it as well. Um, there would be beneficial um, outcomes for commercial entities to be involved as well. So that is definitely on the on the cards, no, no doubt. Scott, before you got heavily involved in the administration of the sport, you were a, a top elite player of table tennis. You're still getting a game yourself? Yeah, I I haven't played. I didn't play last year at all, which was the first time in basically forever um, that, that I've had a year off just with with work was just too hectic and uh, my wife had our second baby last year as well so needed to be at home a little bit more um, but yeah in this um, lockdown period though uh, I, it's given a chance to sort of refresh a little bit and and I, I have been thinking about you know should I should I come back and maybe try and play at the veterans championships or, or something like that because yeah, we start in over 30s in our veterans so I, I've I've you know, I played three or four years before, so I'd be hopeful to, to maybe come back again one day and, and play, but time will tell. Uh, well, i tell you what, Scott, I know how good you are, so I'm very happy not to be on the opposite side of a table from you, but nice to be on the opposite side of a microphone from you. Thanks for joining us uh, on Hooked on Sport. Not a problem. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Hi, I'm Bruce McAvaney, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. <laughs> Scott and his team at TTA have done an incredible job managing the game through a financial crisis over the last two years and now the health crisis of the last two months. That's the Kill Shot on episode 17. As always, our gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation with support from Business SA and SA Health. Hooked on Sport is on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, so feel free to shoot us a note and say hi. Thanks to Ben Watson, who wrote and recorded the musical intro to Hooked on Sport, and to the show's producers, Wallace Long and Desiree McMahon. Be kind to one another. We will see you soon at Hooked on Sport.